Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Uh, my guest today is uh, Andrea Ferreira. He's an associate professor in the Department of Economics at University of Oxford. Uh, he's uh, also a Levine Fellow in Economics at Trinity College in Oxford. He teaches uh, undergraduate and graduate macroeconomics. And uh, I wanted to talk to him because, uh, you know, the situation with uh, government-imposed shutdowns, uh, economically, I don't know what's going to happen. So I wanted to ask and see if, uh, you know, someone like him that's in the economic world has insights on what he thinks is going to happen from here uh, onwards. So, Andrea, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. If you want just a quick background, what got you into uh, study, studying economics in the first place? Yeah, uh, well, it was uh, quite uh, uh, incidental. I was um, um, in, you know, I'm from Italy. In Italy, you, you don't study typical economics uh, in high school. Um, and so, you know, my choice to, uh, embark in my degree was a little bit by exclusion. I knew that there were certain things that I didn't want to study. Um, and so economics and, and management, which was my degree was, uh, kind of, uh, attractive perhaps because I didn't know much about it. Um, but I went in, uh, thinking, uh, I would do management and I think after maybe a semester or two, I realized that uh, I actually did not like management at all. Um, and so, again, uh, the choice going into economics was kind of, you know, uh, more of a negative one. Um, and also, when I, again, when I started doing more economics, um, you know, I never thought I would, I would become an academic. I thought, you know, maybe I would work in finance or consulting or something like that. Um, and it was only towards the end when, uh, first of all, uh, in part, I took more advanced courses, uh, but also I started doing a little research because uh, in Italy you have to do uh, a thesis for your undergrad uh, that, you know, I got really excited uh, about a more, um, you know, academic approach to, to some of the questions that, um, that I was looking into. And, uh, and so I decided okay. to, to pursue a graduate career. And what's your research been about? So uh, I so um, I, I work on several topics, that, but uh, all are sort of related to uh, macroeconomics and monetary policy. Um, I started off more on the international side. Uh, so I was looking out of graduate school at uh, um, the U.S. current account deficit and what were uh, the main determinants. Uh, so I graduated in 2006. That was uh, a big, uh, a big debate at the time. Uh, and then later on, um, I started working on, uh, you know, topics related to the financial crisis. My first job was, was with the Federal Reserve um, in New York. Um, and so, you know, it was uh, an obvious uh, uh, choice. I mean, it was basically uh, in 2000, starting to 
2007, but especially after 2008, it was what we were talking about every day. Um, so, uh, so, so, so then since then I, I kept a little bit of both interests, like some, some topics are that I work on are more on the international side. Some others are more on the, uh, monetary policy and, and, and macro side. Um, but so you know, what's it been like for, uh, for you, you know, the past three or four months during the, uh, coronavirus you know, pandemic, <laughs> uh, uh, it must be very interesting, you know, intellectually. Uh, well, yeah, so it's uh, interesting uh, to read the news and try to make sense of the current situation, but it's also <laughs> extremely boring because I haven't left uh, my house, I guess, like like many people. Um, no, I mean, jokes aside, I, I think, uh, yeah, the, this this crisis is very different from the other uh, type of crisis that we've seen and studied um, you know, in, in the past, I guess, uh, with the 2008 crisis in the, that started in the US and, and then became global, but also with the European debt crisis a couple of years later, you know, we focus a lot on, uh, on the financial system and on, on then on the implications for, uh, for the real economy. Whereas this one, you know, is a, is a crisis that, you know, although some people have, have mentioned before that could, you know, we could be in a, in a pandemic situation we weren't really thinking so much about. Um, and so there's a whole new set of questions that uh, we're, we're facing, uh, both as, you know, as economists and as, uh, as policymakers. Um, and, and so, you know, it, 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 is, it is quite, quite interesting, but, you know, it's also, I guess, very, very challenging. Well, what are some of the uh, important trends or, you know, waves or uh, activity that's going on that you've noticed where do you think uh, we're headed over the next six you know six months worldwide yeah uh well i mean i guess i guess a big difference uh compared to uh the financial crisis of 2008 and, and 2010 2011 in europe is that pretty much everywhere i would say uh governments have been you know, extremely aggressive with, with fiscal policy. Um, I think this reflects uh, two, uh, two, two main reasons. One is that uh, monetary policy um, didn't have a lot of room to respond to the current situation. Um, you know, interest rates were low everywhere. Uh, the few countries that had a little bit of room to cut interest rates did cut right away. So like, um, you know, the U S uh, but some other countries like, like in Europe, the ECB didn't have any, any room to cut interest rates. So, I mean, central banks did, did other, other things, other type of intervention. Uh, but the room for monetary policy, for an aggressive monetary policy response was, was somewhat limited. And so then fiscal policy became, became the obvious uh, instrument to, uh, to respond to the crisis, uh, you could also argue that you know it's. I mean, this is a little bit more controversial. It's not quite clear whether um, you know what the right response to this kind of uh, of episode is, because it has features uh, both of a supply shock because some sectors completely shut down, but also of a, of a demand shock because uh, you know people lost their jobs uh, and so they lost their income and. Uh, and so it's the objective, I guess, of, uh, of both monetary and fiscal policy to provide support 
uh, to people and business situation. Um, so I think overall, this suggests that uh, the policy response is extremely challenging. I think this is this is one of, of the main topics that are currently on the table for, for debate pretty much everywhere in the world. Um, where are we heading? I think, you know, it's uh, anybody's guess. It's, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the, will depend on how uh, the health situation will look like over the next, you know, couple of months uh, and whether there's going to be a second wave. So that's, that's obviously one factor is going to be. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion uh, about the kind of recovery that we may, um, we may see. I was just looking today uh, at the expectations that uh, members of the Federal Reserves have um, of the FOMC uh, for the recovery. So they're seeing, uh, you know, a deep, a deep recession this year, followed by, um, you know, a quite, quite strong rebound next year and also, uh, you know, somewhat more moderate, but still solid uh, for uh, 2022, I guess. Um, so, so I guess that's a baseline scenario that, that many people have in mind. But again, I think that a lot is going to be depending on what's going to happen in the next few months between now and, say, the end of the year. If we have a second wave, does it, will that mean that we'll have a second round of lockdowns? Um, you know, will there be a vaccine in, in a reasonable amount of time? And so, on. so I think all this, that, so I, I guess maybe the bottom line is that there's still a lot of uncertainty. Um, around and and we see this also through the response of financial markets that are you know still quite volatile some days are responding to a few good news but some other days are are worried about uh second waves and and further lockdown so what what interesting market behavior are you seeing you know now you could say you have some experience with an economy like this at least for a few months so Mm -hmm. what are some things that happened that totally surprised you or something maybe that didn't surprise you but were important um, I mean, I don't know if this was anything completely surprising, um, you know, again, because this is a new type of, of episodes, I wasn't sure exactly what to expect to some extent, but um, perhaps, you know, I was a bit surprised maybe that, that the rebound in the stock market was as fast as it has been, um, you know, market actually took relatively you know, a few weeks to go back to the point it was before the news of the epidemic spread around. Uh, you know, I, I was expecting a rebound for sure. Uh, and and I was expecting the rebound to take place well before the real economy uh, would, uh, would recover. But at the same time, you know, I was surprised that, that this, that it happened so fast. Um, Again, you know, because of the certainty still that is still around, maybe maybe it's too early uh, to to assume that that the rebound will will you know will last, and, and maybe there will be further losses down uh, down the road. Um, I also try, uh, yeah, this is just more of a personal uh, preference to to take a little bit more of a longer run approach and and avoid being you know affected too much uh, by the day by day fluctuation in financial market um so you know i take these uh these movements a little bit with a with a grain of salt um i mean the other the the other the other feature but but it's not so much related to this crisis that that is notable in financial markets is that uh long-term interest rates are are historical lows 
um, and you know there was discussion uh, before the epidemic started that was going on basically since the financial crisis or shortly after the started shortly after the financial crisis about uh, whether we, we were going to live in a world of permanently lower in long run interest rates um, and I think this crisis just reinforced that view that that low interest rates are here to stay for you know quite a long time. Uh, you think low interest rates or negative interest rates or I mean what what is that experience been like watching uh, you know at least in banks uh, negative interest rates being offered to customers and customers mm-hmm. maybe reacting in a different way than expected. Yeah, I don't know. I think the evidence is, is still not completely clear on on the effect of uh, of negative interest rates. Um, I mean, my impression is that um, negative interest rates are not as disruptive as some people had suggested they may be, um, but it's also not quite clear to which extent they have the same effect and the, and the same uh power that cut uh interest rate cuts have you know in positive territory uh so so i think that's a little bit of uh of an open questions i mean there is some evidence that that um there's pass-through of negative interest rates one way or another uh meaning that you know if you're a corporation you're gonna face negative interest rate if you are in the, an individual you may not face negative interest rate, but you may get higher fees on your account or, you know, something like of, of that sort that basically is an effective negative rate. Um, so, so, so that's on the one hand suggests that bank profitability may not be hurt as much as some critics of, of negative rates are suggesting. Um, at the same time, um, you know, there is going to be some level, uh, you know, whether it's zero or below, where, you know, the, the zero, the, what we thought was, was zero, the lower bound is going to kick in, right? Because uh, central banks cannot go uh, as negative as they can expecting to keep um, effects from, from further cuts. Uh, what did it discourage saving, discourage keeping anybody in the bank, encourage people to keep uh, savings in cash because of the negative rates? Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly that's exactly right. I mean, that, that's the uh, the you know so-called liquidity trap. Uh, you know, when further cuts in interest rates uh, are not going to be effective because people would rather keep cash under their proverbial mattress. Um, so, so the point is that you know, if you are a corporation that saves um, sums in the order of millions of dollars, you know, uh, it's going to take a while before. Uh, you take all your cash out of the bank, uh, but at some point you will, right? Uh, and so, so that's why I guess negative interest rates may have some effect, but but not not in full. Um, why do why do banks do that? Why do they have to go to? Why do they just stay to zero? Why negative? Well, because they think that negative that zero is is not low enough that they would like to uh, cut interest rates even further. Um, so if the economy is really doing poorly, um, you know, you would like to uh, cut interest rates. And at some point when you hit zero, uh, if the economy is still doing poorly, you would like to cut below zero. So that, that's, the, that's the rationale. Uh, the question is whether it works or not. Um, now, 
you know, central banks have used other uh, ways of um, responding to this uh, this type of uh, situations. Uh, so they've done a lot of QE. Uh, they've used communication about their intentions for the future, trying to affect expectations. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, fiscal policy now being used um, in the same before quite extensively um, this current crisis as well. So do you see any activity building? Do you see... Uh... You know, people not going out, um, accumulating a lot more in savings, and if so, will that you know, cause a pent-up demand that will uh, you know, all yeah. of a be spent in a large amount? Like, what, what dynamics are happening right now? Do you think? Yeah, so I mean, that's all a little bit anecdotal because uh, you know we don't have data yet, not even of of this quarter, just the one where you know we'll sh- we'll see. So this quarter, I guess, we'll see the big the big effect of the of, of the, the big negative effect of the pandemic. Uh, and then before seeing anything to restart, we'll need to wait even uh, a little bit more. I mean, we've seen some some strong rebound in expenditure uh, in, in the US. Uh, and there is quite a bit of evidence that, um, you know, again, a bit anecdotal, but but that that people are uh, you know really eager to to go out uh, and sort of make up at least in part the lost time. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, the holiday season is also uh, one where people are encouraged to spend a bit more. Um, At the same time, we need to balance this with the fact that, you know, there are several people who've lost their jobs. And so their uh, spending capacity may not be as strong as it would have been otherwise. Um, But, uh, you know, one one thing that I thought is likely to happen is, you know, purchases of, of durable goods, for example, if you were planning to buy a car, right, or if you were planning to buy a new house, for example, uh, those must have been postponed for sure. And so if you, if you, if you still have the spending capacity, uh, then uh, there's likely to be a rebound in the in next few months, assuming that the health... Yeah, maybe that's a better way to put it. So if assuming there is no second wave... Yeah. What do things look like in a few months? And assuming there is a second wave, then what do they look like? What are your yeah, scenarios? So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is really, you know, very contingent on on the the developments in the in the health uh, situation. I think again, if there is no second wave and the situation uh, stabilizes um, progressively. Uh, as we've seen happening in most countries, uh, then I think there could be a strong rebound. Um, you know, I, I'm fairly confident about that. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs, may be able to find a new, hopefully. Uh, and so it's likely to be uh, a strong recovery by the end. Uh, if instead we see a second wave, uh, then, then it could be really tricky. Um, partly because, you know, there's been quite a huge effort in terms of uh, um, fiscal support uh, to avoid the worst consequences for both families and, and businesses. And it's not clear that you know, countries will have the same fiscal capacity uh, you know, to support a, a deep second wave. So I guess the intensity of the second wave is going to matter a lot. Uh, but if we see something like we've seen this spring, uh, again in October, November, December next year, uh, it's unclear to me that government able to go out and provide the same kind of so I think that that's kind of uh, the uh, perhaps the, the bad scenario uh, that we're facing uh, and again 
you know, depending on, on, on how you place your probabilities on those two is going to inform your views and uh, going forward. Yeah, do you think um, governments have capacity to withstand more lockdowns? Do you think people do? Or do you think the economic pressure is so great that people are just going to have to learn to live with, you know, the coronavirus and, and have the economies open? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, so it's, I think it's a, it's a tough, it's a very tough question. Um, so, I, you know, instinctively, I, I would say uh, that the main concern that most people have is their health. Uh, and so, you know, you would, you would expect to see a response that is, that is cautious if the health uh, situation does not improve significantly. I would, you know, um, I'd be very worried about going out and, uh, you know, risk getting infected. Uh, if there is a second way, um, but but I think you know it, it's 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 not so easy. I mean, it, we we've seen many instances in which uh, people seem somewhat defiant to this uh, to this type of uh, uh, view, and and so it's unclear uh, how the pressure comes from from the different uh, different groups in the population are going to affect uh, political this in terms of. Uh, the response to potential. Um, so, so I, I don't honestly know. I mean, this is this doesn't necessarily have to do a lot with economics. Uh, it has to do more with health policy uh, and and the political process. Um, I mean, I mean I economics that, is a big factor. If you can't, it is make no, money no, to I, eat. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. But what, what I'm saying is that um, you know, I guess, I guess the the there is there is one dimension in which if we can fix uh the health if we can control the epidemic right if we have the appropriate um icu capacity uh if we have the resources to deal with the epidemic then you know as a byproduct we're also able to mitigate the effects on the economy um the big problem occurs when when you are facing the trade off between you know, saving lives and tanking the economy, which I guess is what you're alluding. Uh, but but I think you you really want to uh, you know build that capacity when when you have the the opportunity. So I think that would be my my instinctive reaction to this uh, to the current situation. Use the time that that we have now to make sure that if second wave hits, we are prepared this time. Do you think any nations are taking it that way and listening, or are they just Maybe too scared. They're just caught in the day to day, and that's all they can think about. Yeah, I'm a little worried about uh, about that. I'm a little worried that uh, the the day to day crisis management is taking uh, the eyes away from from the longer term objective, which is to be able to face uh, you know a similar crisis to uh, to learn from 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 the current uh, the past wave, the one in this spring. And, and to be able to cope with potentially. So I'm, I'm a little worried about that. Too. Very good. Uh, Andrea, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? And mm-hmm. any ideas on what they should keep tabs on economically to uh, keep their hand on the pulse of the economy? Uh, well, I think, I think we're going to get some data, uh, some more data uh, soon coming out. Uh, and I think that will give us a good sense of, uh, you know, how uh, uh, the labor market 
is uh, responding. Um, you know, we've seen uh, a good uh, labor market report last month, so hopefully the good news will continue. Um, so, so, so my my hope is that you know the data will will support a little bit of optimism going forward, and obviously on the health side that the uh, the measures that have been put in place uh, will be enough to avoid a, a second wave. Uh, but it's but it's really that interaction that that interaction between the health uh, scenarios and uh, and how the economy is going to be crucial. Uh, you know, for for the next six months or so uh, until we get a cure and we don't have to worry about virus. And- well, very good, Andrea. Thanks for coming. Well, thank you very much. Perspective. <laughs> thanks a lot for having me. Excellent. If you like this podcast. Please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.